for many students, the only college course about religion that they will take is a survey course called Religions of the World, or maybe the World Religions. For instructors, one of the questions about designing and teaching courses like these is how do we define the world religions? What makes them worldly? What counts as religion? What kind of model is it that we can use to talk about religions that may appear in vastly different contexts around the world? In our second season of the Religious Studies Project, back in 2013, we interviewed James Cox, who walked listeners through what the world religions paradigm is and some of the ways in which it has been challenged by scholars working within religious studies as insufficient to describe the complexity and diversity of religions around the world. Scholars today recognize that the world religions paradigm, the lens through which we see religions around the world and by which we decide what counts as religion, that that lens is a product of colonialism, and a product of imperialism, and that we need to understand the context out of which this model appeared. Today's episode is a remix, a cut of the initial episode of David Robertson speaking with James Cox about the world religions paradigm. We've reduced the length of that conversation from 50 minutes down to a manageable 20 We hope that this allows for greater use of this object in the classroom, and we thank you for listening today. So, a big subject, and I think, as usual, we we should start with asking the simple question, what is the world religion's paradigm? Well, thanks, David. Obviously, a paradigm is a model or a pattern for uh, anything at all, like an architectural design. So the world religions paradigm is a pattern or model for how religions have been categorized, classified, studied, and taught, uh, probably in the main in the Western universities to begin with, and then it spread uh, to other parts of the world, including Africa. The idea of the world religions paradigm is that we can classify or categorize religions according to their main beliefs, their main historical uh, development, their scriptures, their founders, and put them into sort of one general or generic category. So classically, the world religions have been identified as religions of geographical areas. So Asia, uh, North America, uh, Europe, Uh, South America, Africa, and so on. But these have then, and Asia, of course, these have then been put into the main categories of Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, sometimes Zoroastrianism. In Britain, it's very common. Sikhism is one of the main big six religions, as they call it. Uh, Chinese religions, Taoism, Confucianism. So when I first started teaching world religions, this is the uh, these are the categories that I used. Now the problem that we have with the world religions paradigm is that it conveys to students that these religions or these classifications are self-contained, sometimes stagnant, quite discrete one from the other, and very much intellectually uh, presented. So normally, 
in textbooks that deal with world religions, there will be a, a system or a, a, a section which deals with the historical background to these development of these religions. So you might have uh, what happened in uh, the uh, early uh, Indian period when the development of the uh, so-called um, uh, Dravidians in the south were uh, sort of affected by the Aryans and how the development of this term Hinduism, which has to do with the Indus Valley, came about. Uh, but the problem with this is then when I taught world religions uh, using the textbooks, what we used to do, for example, with Hinduism was to say things like, well, the main thing about Hinduism is contained, for example, in the idea of the Brahman, Atman, unity. So we said to students, uh, Hindus believe that there is this great world spirit called Brahman, which is beyond our comprehension, and yet it is located in the inside, the deepest part of the human being called the Atman or the self. So the individual self and the universal self are united in the Brahman Atman. So we taught this as Hinduism. Mm -hmm. Now, I suspect if you go to almost any place in India and go on the ground to a temple and say, yes, the Brahman Atman unity is what your religion is about, they won't have a clue what you're talking about. And they might argue with the, the term religion and, I mean, and even the term Hinduism anyway. Well, absolutely. <laughs> so the point is, that what I'm making is, it's that you have these these isms yeah. that have been developed and we teach them largely or have taught them uh, and many of the textbooks are the same way taught them according to these rather westernized intellectual elitist ideas yeah. now if you take uh, the idea that these religions are discrete that is separate from one another uh, can be classified uh, in terms that follow certain descriptions derived largely from a Western Christian interpretation. We can see how they, they developed. So what is the belief? What are the main beliefs of these religions? And usually then there are questions about what are their beliefs about God? How do they conceive the ultimate? Then there are questions about how do they uh, practice this in terms of their authoritative sources? And usually there would be scriptural traditions. So traditions that have scriptures and doctrines or beliefs. Then sometimes, not always, but founders were important, important founders. Then you get into certain things like rituals, but those presented less significance, I think, than were the main historical founders, doctrines, scriptures. Uh, now, I'm speaking here, of course, stereotypically about the way religions tend to be studied on these on the, on the world religions paradigm. So we have these main religions that are identified. They are somehow discrete from one another. They are defined in terms of fundamentally con concerns that are typically Western Christianized ways of looking at religion and then imposed as if uh, on students and scholars and other people uh, in the general public that this is what we mean by the term religion and world religions. Now, the other thing with, about the term world religions suggests also, and I think this is a point that's made by Jonathan Z. Smith in his book, Map is Not Territory, that the dominant idea of the religions being 
defined by Western concerns relates to issues of power. And this means that the religions which interacted with Western religions became those of concern to Western scholars. You mentioned already the sort of colonial context, but the third of um, what, what Terry Thomas called the mixed motives behind the world religious paradigm is the theological context. Um, and we've sort of touched on that already when you talked about how we defined these um, world religions in terms of founders, beliefs, mm-hmm. um, gods, and um, very sort of philosophical systems. And maybe you could uh, elaborate slightly on this kind of uh, theological presuppositions that maybe came into the model. Yes. What often is referred to with respect to the theological interpretation is a term bandered around called essentialism. That is, there is the idea, based on a kind of liberal theological perspective, it was liberal theologians who were interpreting comparative religion, like Thiel, for example. So what we have with the idea is that there is some sort of universal core, some sort of transcendental source, which uh, all human beings somehow tap into and express in various localized, culturally relevant ways. Mm-hmm. So the idea of many, as, as Tomoko Masuzawa says in her book, The Invention of World Religions, uh, that many of this, her students in North America still to this day go into studies of religion courses because they believe that they're just various ways up the mountain mm-hmm. where it's all to the very same end and from the same source. Yeah. So the idea of world religions, as it's often interpreted by certain liberal theologically inclined scholars, even if they're religious scholars, uh, religious studies scholars, like, for example, Iliada, uh-huh. uh, who has the idea of the sacred, the unknown and unknowable, which he got from Rudolf Otto, largely, so who's a theologian. And so you have the idea that there's this core, this essence, this source of religion. And what we do then when we study religions is study the way in which it manifests itself. It uh, makes itself known mm-hmm. in all sorts of different ways. So if I studied, for example, an African religion in Zimbabwe, Uh, on this model, I would be studying the way in which this localized culture was tapping into the common source of all religiosity experienced by humans everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that is, in some senses, a kind of um, veiled, surreptitious theology. Now, for example, let me just take refer to Wilfred Cantwell Smith. Wilfred Cantwell Smith, in his book, The Meaning and End of Religion, which was published, I think, first in 1963 or 62, uh, uh, criticized uh, the term religion. He thought it was a reified, uh, objectified, impersonal term, which grew out of the Western Enlightenment, invented by Western uh, thinkers who wanted to create this thing called religion Mm -hmm. into which, as we developed in the 19th and early 20th century, into which you can fit all the various religions of the world. So uh, his argument was that at the core of what we now call religion is personal faith or 
piety or devotion or some sort of experiential element. Uh, but this has now been taken out by uh, the increasing uh, objectification and intellectual studies of religion to make it into a kind of thing, to reify it. It is an object. So we study not Hindus or people who live in India who practice and experience religion in certain ways. We study Hinduism or not people who live in China or in parts of Southeast Asia and so on who might practice variations of what we mean by Buddhism. Mm -hmm. uh, so, But we study Buddhism and perhaps you have different forms of it like Mahayana or Theravada and that sort of thing that you study it as an object. So Cantwell Smith was... Uh, it was trying to critique this notion that you had religion and objectified religions and so on by inserting the personal faith element into it and the, and the kind of idea that we can somehow only understand religion if we can penetrate into the personal faith of the adherent or the believer. Now, the problem, of course for Cantwell Smith, as for anybody who studies religious experience, is that penetrating into it, personal, private experience, is very difficult, if not impossible, to yeah. do. So, Cantwell Smith admitted this. Personal faith is entirely personal, but it manifests itself. We can see it. Mm -hmm. We can observe it. We can somehow uh, describe it. And then we can classify it according to certain ways of uh, descriptions that can be compared. So what's the relationship of, of the world religion paradigm um, to the establishment of religious studies as a discipline? The first religious studies department of its kind, as we know it today in the United Kingdom, at least, was founded in Ibadan in Nigeria yeah. in 1949. Jeffrey Parander, who became then the professor of comparative religion at King's College in London was the one of the first lecturers in religious studies in Nigerian Ibadan. And what Parander did was to develop the idea of we compare various religions. So he had a discussion or study of Africa's three religions, Christianity, Islam, and ATR, or African Traditional Religions. But he taught them in a way which is exactly what we mean by the world religions paradigm. Yeah. Uh, Islam is a religion. It's discrete, self-contained, its own history, its founder, its scriptures, and so on. Christianity, the same. And African Traditional Religion, notice in the singular, in the singular yeah. is also taught in a way that examines things like its beliefs about gods or god actually god the supreme being and then you have power spirits uh, rituals activities and even demons or evil spirits and that sort of thing witchcraft all which falls under these categories or classifications whereby we can compare and study so it was a comparative study indeed to go back to parander for a minute the world religions paradigm was used um in a apparently more benign uh, way in the what you might call the post-colonial period um, as our understanding of indigenous traditions improved. Would that be fair to say? Well, the post-colonial critique, for example, 
David Chidester in his book, Savage Systems, outlines the history of the study of religion in South Africa and how religion became a tool for basically the oppressor. Uh, first, the African had no religion uh, because it was convenient then to have no religion mm-hmm. because they didn't have churches, they didn't have scriptures, they didn't have uh, anything that, that they would call religion in a Western Christian sense. But after that, then, what's quite interesting in Chidester's critique, I think, is that the awareness and the recognition amongst the South African colonialists that there really was religion. Mm-hmm. And this religion then, and this also could be put to, to certain Christian African leaders, this religion could be accommodated into Christianity. It could be used, in a sense, as a tool to, uh, to, to make the, uh, the, the, uh, those that had been colonized very much fitted into the whole concept of what it means to be a good uh, citizen, a respectful, a respectful kind of uh, participant in society. Once that they were accommodated into Western ways and could be Christianized or at least fitted into a Christian ethical framework, is in fact uh, very um, degrading to the indigenous people. So what we need to do in this case is to discover the values, uh, what the highest aspirations, the best elements of these pre-Christian religions. And what do we find? What do we find? We find they believe everyone in a supreme being. (laughs) They all believe in God. And this God is a creator God. Mm -hmm. This God, well strangely, resembles the Christian God. And in this sense, they, that is, the indigenous people, have become all right, Mm -hmm. acceptable. Yes, because they are not just like us, but close enough to us to be acceptable to us. And then all we need to do is now is make a little shift from there of the pre-Christian religions in order to make them somehow... Uh, acceptable, and the values that they saw were very, very resemblant of Christian values. So this is another way in which I've got on the African example, but we could do this also in India. Mm-hmm. So you have this same thing happening in other parts of the world where the Christianization process is a process which is very much to do with colonial power and colonial um, uh imposition of a worldview on top of that which has already been uh, existing. I think the way religion was used as a, uh, an instrument of power as part of the post-colonial critique, and we see it in some of the, as I said, in the Perinder, you see it operating in what seemed to be enormously um, docile and non-harmful, uh, quite sympathetic ways but in a way, it's the worst kind of, of treatment. Because rather than saying we value your traditions in their own right, we only value them insofar as they conform to our values. The RSP is sponsored by the BASR, NAASR and the IAHR. 
and is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, a Scottish charitable and corporated organisation. Find out more at religiousstudiesproject.com. Brought to you by editors Andy Alexander and David McConaughey and founding editors Chris Cotter and David Robertson. Our features are edited by Savannah Finver and our opportunities digest by Ella Bach. Audio editing by Alex Matthews. Video editing by Alison Isidore. Podcast transcription by Jaden Bartashius. And social media managed by Candice Mixon. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon.com, .co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes and all other portals. Thanks for listening. <laughs>